Our sermon text reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. If you turn to page 8 in your bulletin, you can follow along as I read. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, John, for that reading. Thank you to Kyle and Rachel for that, that wonderful song. What a, a good reminder that we do need the Lord at all times and in all ways, every single moment of the day. So thank you to the Rogers. Two weeks ago, I preached at New City in Ferndale. That's our sister church. It's actually where Pastor Demiron is preaching this morning. They're in the, the process of looking for a new senior pastor, and so they've asked Redeemer to, to fill their pulpit on occasion, and they just asked me to have you keep praying for them as they search for a pastor. But you should also be encouraged that as they are waiting, they're, they're doing very well. They're pressing on the Lord. There's a lot of exciting things going on up there. It was very encouraging. Next Sunday is also going to be an encouraging Sunday. Next Sunday is going to be the official commissioning service of Metro North. This is our church plant up in Sterling Heights. And so Steve Van Ort and their entire team, which is now uh, 40 adults, I think 15 kids, some of our members, uh, the Galmans, the Smiths, the Benders, Kelly Overby, they're all going to be here. And this will be the official sending off of Metro North. And so that will be an exciting Sunday. Now, I recognize that we have a lot of special Sundays here at Redeemer. We've had two ordination services and one church plant commission all in two months. And I, I recognize it's, it's hard to get into a regular rhythm when we have so many special Sundays, but you should know Lots of churches go five, ten years without special Sundays. And so if there are lots of special Sundays, that means God is doing something really special. And so we ought to be very thankful. But this week is a normal Sunday. And by normal, I mean normal in all the glorious ways that God speaks to us each morning through His Word. So we are back in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We are now on the, the second half of the letter, which is where... Paul is unpacking the practical implications of the Christian life. Paul's going to get rather specific here. He's going to touch on the totality of who we are as men and women. It's the kind of list that is fairly comprehensive. And then look with me at verse 30. Because this section ends with a very sobering warning. That those that are saved by grace... And are not faithful in living out a set-apart life, we see in verse 30 that the Holy Spirit 
is grieved. The spirit as a person is grieved. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit that lives in us is not just a force, but a person, and a person who can be grieved. Orthodox Christianity has always held that the Trinity is of three people that are one, of the same substance, of the same value. The Greek word is the same ousia. So the God as Father is a person. Jesus as the Son is of the same ousia. He is a person. And also the Holy Spirit of the same ousia is a person. The Spirit's not just a force, but a person that lives in us, a person of divine ousia. And this means that he can be grieved. I often have pain in, in, in my neck, probably because I sit at a desk most of the day and I'm kind of leaning forward, typing. And so a few years ago, I visited a chiropractor in East Lansing. Now, I, I am sure there's lots of wonderful chiropractors out there, but the one that I picked, he was a little odd. And so I, I had ne never been, I, I didn't know what to expect. And so I go back there, he puts all these gadgets on my head and these different meters and I'm just there to get my, my neck fixed. I don't need any other advice. But as he's looking at me and noticing how my, my spine is curved and the different kinks in my back, he was very concerned that my life force was not flowing. I, so I'm just here to get my headaches gone. I didn't know about this life force. And he said, well, yes, you, you have a force that resides in you. It's not a person, but it is a force. And if the force is flowing, your headaches will be gone. Your mood will be better. You'll be more spiritual. Your stomach issues will go away. All of that will be gone if you just have your force fixed. And therefore, he wanted to straighten me out so my force would flow. I'm just there to get my pain gone, but I felt like Luke Skywalker learning about the force from Yoda. So needless to say, I did not go back to this chiropractor. But that is how many people understand the Holy Spirit, just a vague, impersonal force that if you tap into it, yes, you'll get some benefits, you'll get some power, but that's all it is, a force. It's a very Eastern way of thinking, just the balance of the force in you. But you see, in Christianity, it's different. The Spirit is not just a force, but it is the actual person of God. And as a person, there are certain things that we can do that grieve him. Remember that the overarching point of this letter is that you live in Christ. That preposition, by faith you live in Christ. We live in him. The spirit then in return lives in us. The theological phrase would be we experience union with Christ. We are united to Christ. And because we are united to Christ, the second theological phrase would be we experience communion with him. That we actually have a relationship with this person. There's a very deep, mysterious, but very real relationship that we have with God. And in any relationship, there are certain things that we can do that please Him, and there are certain things that we can do that grieve Him. The closest human example would that be of a husband and a wife, two becoming one, this deeply intimate relationship. And there are things that a spouse can do that certainly grieves the other. And so we should not at all be surprised then that since we are in a relationship with God, this deeply personal covenantal relationship, 
There are things that we can do that grieve the Spirit. The Greek word here is lupeo. It's a severe mental or emotional distress, vexed, irritated, offended. The Spirit is offended. He is grieved. I often hear people talk of the unconditional love of God. Now, that, that can be a really great phrase. Grace is free. The love of Jesus on the cross is free. God is not ever going to let his people go. So that aspect of God's love is unconditional, yes. But there is also a really bad way to understand that phrase. Because it is not as though God's love is unconditional in that it is static or that it's flat. It's actually very dynamic. And his love will not leave you in the ultimate sense, but because you are in a relationship with him, in this dynamic, dynamic love, there are things you can do that grieve him. God's love is not unconditional in the sense that he is unilaterally affirming of everything that you do in your life. And that's the point here in Ephesians chapter 4. In your life, do not grieve the spirit that you are united to. The section here in Ephesians 4, it's, it's a little bit of a, a different angle on the fight against sin. Typically, us as Western Christians, we think of sin only in legal categories, that sin is breaking God's law, that sin is trespassing, it is incurring a debt, and that is all absolutely true. But there are other aspects of sin, and one is which we see this morning, that sin pollutes, that sin mars our relationship with the God who is pure. Sin grieves the Spirit. And so we're going to look at this passage on three different levels this morning, three ways in which sin grieves the Holy Spirit. We, number one, sin grieves the Spirit because He is in us as individuals. Sin grieves the Spirit because He is in us corporately. Third and finally, sin grieves the Spirit because He is in us forever. Point number one, sin grieves the Spirit because He is in us as individuals. This section begins with a list of commands, things that we should do and things that we should not do. I was telling Pastor Demiron this past week, I, I find these kind of lists really hard to preach on because I want to stop at each point and just really expound it and give a fuller sermon, but then you go on to the next point in the list and it's not all connected. And so I find them to be very hard to preach on. But here's a very quick overview. Here are the sort of things that grieve the Spirit. In verse 25, if you speak what is false... You are grieving the Spirit. Because God is truth, we are to use our mouths to speak what is true. Verse 26, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. I, I would love to do a full sermon just on that because that is a profound point. Anger in itself is not sin. Anger at injustice, that is not sin. Jesus himself, in John chapter 11, Jesus was angry at death, clearly not sin. God is often described as angry. So there is righteous anger, but we all know in our hearts the difference between righteous anger and just losing our temper anger, at being 
angry when our kids spill the milk, or angry on the highway when the Dodge Charger cuts you off on the lodge again. I mean, th- th- those sort of angers that, that keeps you at the center, you're angry because you're violated, your rights are taken away, that kind of anger grieves the Spirit. Righteous anger keeps God at the center. Anger that grieves the Spirit keeps the self at the center. Verse 28, we see that stealing grieves the Spirit. Paul goes on to say that instead of stealing, we must be committed to good, honest, hard work so that we might be generous people. Stealing takes what pleases the Spirit is when Christians give. One of my best friends, he was raised in the hood, and he was taught at a very young age to steal, stole all sorts of things. After he became a Christian in college, one of the areas of his life that needed to change immediately was he needed to stop stealing and to start giving. So he got a a very good degree in business, and he began to save so that he might be committed to giving and not to taking. Verse 29, no corrupting talk ought to come out of our mouths. This grieves the spirit. Corrupting talk, think of gossip, slander, sexual jokes, making fun of people. That kind of language grieves the spirit. Doesn't matter if you are in a locker room with the guys, corrupting talk is always corrupting talk. And there's a lot more that we could say about each one of the points, but you get the idea. When you sin, if you belong to the Lord, you are grieving the Spirit because the Spirit is in you. God's pure, God's joy, God's life, God is truth. And when you are united to God, by faith, you live in Him. When you do those sorts of things, you are actually uniting God to things that He is against. It grieves Him. God wants no part in those sort of actions. When I was growing up, I remember Christian leaders used to tell me, you know, you should live a God-honoring life. Don't listen to certain songs on the radio. Don't you know, watch rated R movies, those sort of things. And then they would always end, would you watch that movie if Jesus was in the room with you? Don't ever do anything if you knew Jesus was going to stop in. And I just thought, well, that's, that's a little bit of an unfair question because I don't know if I would take a nap if I knew Jesus was coming over, you know, this afternoon. I don't know if I would ever watch college football. So I, I think when people say those sort of statements, it could feel a little hyper-religious, or maybe legalistic to, to scare you into obedience. That's not good. But it, it, it is a, a fair question to ask of yourself this morning. The, the, the aim of my life, how I spend my time, am I living in such a way that honors the Lord or is grieving the Spirit? There's nothing here in the text about pleasing the Spirit so that you might be saved. It doesn't say anywhere here that if you displease the Spirit too much that He's going to leave you forever. Remember the words of Jesus on the cross, it's finished. 
The work that is required to make you right with God is accomplished on the cross. Praise God, this is the gospel. Why we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Your standing before God depends on Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the reason you have a relationship with God. But if you have a relationship with God, if you have the Spirit, you are a new man, you're a new woman, you have a new heart, you have a new allegiance. God's not just a concept, but He is your life. You know God as a person. God's your Father, Jesus is your friend, the Spirit is your life and comfort. If that is all true, don't you want to please Him, to make Him happy, to know His pleasure over your life? Imagine if I, I came home from work one day, I'm just in a, I have a, a bad attitude, I'm, I'm, I'm ticked off. So I, I walk into the house, I got my, my snowy boots on, they're, they're covered in salt. I walk across the living room, just, just make a, a mess on the carpet, a mess on the hardwood floors, plop down on the couch, start demanding dinner from my wife, Vanessa. I'm just, I'm, I'm short, and so why, why is this taking so long? She brings out the food, I'm not thankful, I complain, I burp, I don't clean, I belittle her. Is Vanessa going to leave me? No. She's my wife, and she made a promise that she's not going to leave me. Is Vanessa going to be grieved? Absolutely. Rightfully so, she would be grieved. And if that was my attitude towards my wife, you, you would rightfully have some questions for me. Questions about if I really understood the glory of marriage. You could rightfully ask me, John, you claim to love your wife but every action that you are doing is saying something otherwise. If you really love your wife, won't you aim to please her, not grieve her? What's wrong with you? You see, this section here about grieving the Spirit, it's not about earning or losing, but because you have the Spirit, don't you want a healthy relationship with Him, a relationship that honors the Lord. So as an individual, you have the Spirit, therefore live in such a way that you do not grieve Him. Cultivate this healthy relationship. Point number two, sin grieves the Spirit because He is in us corporately. Notice with me the second half of verse 25. Paul writes, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. One another. This is, this is church, family, Language. P.T. O'Brien, he's a commentator, he writes that one of the themes, as we've seen going through this letter, is the theme of the unity of the church. That because there is one Savior, there is one church family. Yes, of course, people are, are, are very different. We have different genders, we have different ethnic backgrounds, we have different gifts. We are, we are very different people, but we are all coming to Jesus together. And therefore, there's this new unified people, the family of God, the church. And so the church serves as this countercultural society that exists within the broader society of this world. So when Paul is saying neighbor here in verse 25, he's not talking to about our neighbors out in the world, but he's actually talking about the neighbor that you are sitting by right now in the pew. He's talking about loving our neighbor Christians in the church. That's why he goes on to say that we are members of one another. 
This phrase, the grieving of the Holy Spirit, that's an Old Testament phrase. You find it in Isaiah 63. So in Isaiah, they're, they're, they're looking back on the events of the Exodus. And so God saved Israel, sent the plagues, he parted the Red Sea, gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And as soon as God has done all this, almost immediately the people go back to being rebels. So in Isaiah 63.10, it reads, But they rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. It's not a single person that grieved the Holy Spirit, but it was them collectively they grieved the Spirit. If we go back to verse 30 in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The you there... In verse 30, that is you, plural, and by which you all were sealed. So if Paul was from Louisiana, like the Haynes family, Paul would have said, by which y'all were saved. Or if Paul was from the Upper Peninsula, he would say, by which you skies were saved. I mean, there's all different ways, but, but, but you all were sealed for the day of redemption. This is collective, together, church body language. Remember the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, this glorious reality that we are all saved in Christ together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This, this doesn't wipe out our identities, doesn't wipe out our differences, but it unites us into this really beautiful, mystical reality that is the church. And therefore, whenever we are in the church and we are doing the sort of things against one another that Paul has said here, taking from one another, slandering one another, being angry at one another in the church. It grieves the Spirit. It grieves the Spirit when we are not getting along as a healthy family. As many of you know, my mom passed away just over a year ago. She had cancer. It's a very terrible situation across the board. And the, the moments leading up to her death were especially hard because you just you have to have all these conversations that you know you need to have. And it's just, it's just hard talking about end of life and her regrets and her desires. And one of her big desires is that after she was gone is that she wanted the kids to keep getting along. She wanted the, the lasting impact of her life to be family health. Just make sure the family sticks together. You so often hear of families that are fighting, usually over very petty things, fighting over politics or fighting over money or who gets what from the estate or arguments that started 20 years ago, but nobody even understands what they're fighting about anymore, but they just dig their heels in, so they keep on fighting just for the sake of fighting. And my mom's wish was for none of that. Because you, you see how the, the kids interact reflects on the parent. Not, not perfectly, not absolutely, but there certainly is a correlation. That's what God said to Israel. I, I set you free as a family from Egypt. Now you're living like this? It just doesn't reflect well on me. That's what God is saying to the church here in Ephesians. I've set you free. I've given you Jesus. 
Jesus has lived and he has died for you all, plural. I've redeemed you into this glorious and beautiful, unbelievable group of people called the church. The church is God's family, my family. All of you are going to the same fountain of life together. All of you are going to Jesus. You're together. What God is saying is what honors me is when God's people are getting along together, that they are actually acting like a functional family. And what grieves the Spirit here is to see his family doing the sort of things that non-family members are doing. There's a great article this past week in World Magazine written by Carl Truman. It was an opinion piece. It was titled, Yes, I Am a Christian, Just Like Those Over There. His point was, 100 years ago, the main divide in the church was a theological divide. It was the, the modernist versus the fundamentalist. What Truman says is that divide Christians into the elites versus the common. So Trump, nationalism, social justice, sexuality, all these sort of things have just become buzzwords that cause division. Carl Truman, who is certainly of the elite class, wrote this as the final line. Sometimes Christian fidelity requires one to be a traitor to one's own class. Might I say, yes, I am a Christian, just like those over there. You see, it's, it's so easy for uh, elite city Christians, you know, just to, to look down on the, the unrefined Fox News crowd. But then the, the, the common Christian looks up to the, the elite Christians as the sellouts. and They live in cities and they read poetry and they drink craft beer. E- each side is embarrassed of the other side. And what God is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4, if you are embarrassed of your brother or sister on the other side, then that grieves the Spirit. If you are in Christ together, you are of the same blood-bought eternal family. Therefore, act as though you are in the same family. Even if that person, that Christian's a little bit of a nut. He's bought by Jesus and he is your brother or she is your sister in the Lord. Therefore, honor and respect him. And we all have a weird uncle in the family. And the best kind of families, even if you have a weird uncle keep bringing him over for Thanksgiving, and you love him, and you respect him, and yes, he's a little quirky, and yes, he's going to embarrass you sometimes, but he is still your uncle, and he belongs in your family. Even some of the Christians that do some nutty things, they belong to the Lord and are saved by the same grace that saved you. Praise God. Honor them. Third point. Third and finally, sin grieves the Spirit because He is in us forever. Again, back to verse 30. The indwelling of the Spirit is a down payment on your eternal life. That's what sealed for redemption means. Heaven is clearly not now. Just just turn on the news and you'll, you'll see. We are not living in eternity yet. It's very clear. And what this section means is that we can grow in obedience, but this does not promise perfection. We are, this week, going to grieve the Spirit, and therefore our lives are primarily marked by faith and repentance. The the, the Spirit is the down payment that God gives us in our lives. Down payment. It's not the full payment. It's like a, a down payment 
on a house. You, you bring 20% to the table, and once you put the down payment down, that, that down payment represents that you're going to be a spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you are not living in the full kingdom of God yet, but He is a substantial down payment that seals you for life eternal, meaning the measure of the Spirit that you have now is going to be with you forever in increasing measure. You're actually just getting started with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the main question for you this morning, the convicting high point of this message. Lots of people today inside the church talk about a desire for heaven. I, I just, I love the idea of heaven, the age of bliss, death will be defeated, evil, injustice, all that will be overcome. It'll be the eternal land of love. They like the idea of heaven, but they actually live oppositely now. The idea of living a life of obedience now, a life of being filled with the Spirit, a life of personal holiness that actually pleases the Spirit. For many people, that feels like a chore. Growth in holiness, obeying God in many Christian circles is actually seen as a cuss word because that wipes out grace. Obedience, pleasing God feels like boring legalism or religion. But my question is this. If you do not want to please the Spirit now, why do you want to go to heaven? Because that's all heaven is going to be. All you will want to do there as you are made new as a man or as a woman, all you are going to want to do is please God forever. And if that idea is so objectionable to you now, why do you want to go there? That's all it's going to be. What exactly are you looking forward to? See, the sealing of the Spirit is the sealing that there is more personal holiness to come. He's just the down payment that guarantees the full payment in the future. The great hope of the gospel is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. The great hope of the gospel is that you are welcomed into God's covenantal family, that you are made a daughter or a child, that you actually know God, that you are united to God, you have a relationship with God, you are becoming like His Son, that you know God as an individual. We know Him collectively in the church, and you're going to know Him forever. The great hope of the gospel is that through Christ. You have a relationship with God. And whenever you are in a relationship, at least a healthy relationship, the impulse should be, if, 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 it's, if things are clicking and things are healthy, the impulse should be, am I trying to make the other person happy to please him? And how much more so if the other person of God? So absolutely, we ought to glory in the God of grace, the God who saves sinners, the God who forgives as far as the east is from the west. We ought to glory and sing about our justification all the time. But now that you are forgiven, and now that you are justified, and because you are welcomed into God's family, don't grieve the Spirit. Honor Him. Jesus Christ Himself says, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. There's nothing here in Ephesians about earning or meriting. Totally different issue. That's not present here. All Paul is saying that this is about loving, not grieving the God who has saved you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we confess to you all the ways that we have grieved your spirit this past week, all the ways that we will likely grieve your spirit this upcoming week. And so we do thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been removed from us. We thank you that we are clean and right before you based on Jesus Christ alone. But because that is all true, we do pray that your spirit would empower us to live differently, to live lives that honor you, to live lives that that please you, that we would love the idea of growing in our personal holiness, that we would love the idea of displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we need lots of grace in this area. And so we ask that you give us what we need in Jesus' name. Amen.